0: Hear that? That's the sound of your car's NCT getting closer. But this year, why not rely on an Avantcard loan rather than luck? If it's time to upgrade your car to something newer, it's time you contacted Avantcard. AventCard offers loans from 5000 to €75,000, approval in principle in minutes, and personalised pricing made for you.
1: Find out more at AventCard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Avantcard DAC Trading's Avantcard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.
2: Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how's it going?
1: It is going great. And today is, as we speak, penguins are starting their quest for a three-peat, and they're just blowing the doors off the flyers. I can't believe I scheduled a podcast during game one. Must have <laughs> been a pretty darn good guest to do that. So pretty excited for who we have on. We,
2: we've got a good guest. We don't have your your OG uh, fantasy guy bloom on here to talk penguins, but we do have his buddy, Matt <laughs> Waldman. Uh, you all know him from the rookie scouting portfolio and the audible and football guys and, and everywhere else. Matt, how's it going?
0: That's yeah, great. It's always, uh, it's always great to get a chance to talk with you guys. And Matt, you know, it's, it's an honor to know that you've sacrificed a, a penguins game to, uh, you know, at least part of it to, to do this podcast. So let's get going.
1: Game one of the playoffs, brother. That's right. It's not that. Important. It well,
0: you know, happen. I was a, i when I grew up in Cleveland. There was a they were the Cleveland Barons. There was actually a team called the Cleveland Barons, and I did have a Cleveland Barons hockey puck. You know, at one point, but that's you know, that they like win all Cleveland pop? franchises.
1: <laughs> did they win back to back cups on the quest for a third? As we speak? yeah,
0: I think they. I, I think if the <laughs> cup was the Hardy's Cup, maybe on the way out, you know, out the highway to the next town.
1: Much to discuss here, though. Let's get on track.
2: Yes, yes, let's do it, Matt. I can't even imagine <laughs> how many podcasts you've done the past few weeks upon release of the annual RSP. It's it's just a great product. It's right. it's uh, it, you know it, it's the Bible for for all of us fantasy players and dynasty players this time of year. So we're going to dive in, and as we always do, we've had you on the past uh, in the past, and especially last year. I know we looked at some of these outliers, some of these players that your rankings and the consensus rankings don't necessarily match up. We we want to do that same thing today. So we'll run through all the positions. And of course, we'll start at quarterback and, and reading over the RSP. I, I thought it was really interesting before you uh, dug into some of the, the players that are included in this class of 2018 and, and quarterback is a hotbed as, as really as it always is, but maybe even more so this year. You talked about your approach to the RSP this year and and how Dak Prescott maybe changed things for you. So just talk a little bit about how he changed your process and your approach.
0: Yeah, because when you watch Dak Prescott, you know, one of the things of, about him is I didn't have a high grade on him at all. I mean, he was one of my lower ranked quarterbacks in that class. And there were a lot of borderline, there were a lot of borderline areas where the difference between him having a high grade, a higher grade, and having a lower grade was in about, you know probably about four to five different areas in how I grade the quarterback position. And it and it really was kind of a nice opportunity for me to look at and say, "You know what? When I started the RSP, a lot of what I was doing is transcribing game by game, play by play, and it was a great method for someone like me to to really explore the game and immerse myself in it and learn more about how my evaluation process worked and how to update it, as well as learning more about the game, because it forced me to ask questions and, and find answers. And, you know, at, at this point, I'm 13 years in. And so at that point, I was about 11, I think it was 11 years in with Dak Prescott. And that was such a borderline thing that. You know, I erred on the side of caution on that. And so when I looked at describing him and then I look at how his game turned out, I feel pretty good about how I described him. I just don't feel very good about how I projected him. And so when I look at that, I realize that I need to be watching more games of quarterbacks and spending less time transcribing detail at this point, you know, and getting more exposures to things so that I could feel like when I have these borderline areas, I could solidify them a little bit more through game, you know, more game tape. So that was part of really one of the things that that I really did is that I'm starting to cut back on the amount of, you know, transcription that I'm doing because it's the return on investment just isn't worthwhile. And there's more that I can offer readers down the line through, you know, both with the product directly and then also just how I pursue knowledge and, and training, you know, in the, you know, kind of in the background things that I'm doing, going to coaching clinics, doing things like that.
1: I'm not sure all of our listeners know this, but you put out a post-draft RSP, which is a tremendous reason and yet another reason why to purchase this product. But I think Prescott just makes me think of this because in his rookie year, I described him a lot as, As most did, wow, he's really benefiting from his system. He's a good player, but his surroundings are very useful. Where last year, I thought the opposite was totally the the truth, where he was the trailer instead of, you know, he was the truck instead of the trailer now. And, you know, no one's getting open. Zeke's not there. So how much might these quarterbacks change dependent on where they land?
0: I think it changes a great deal. And I think it's a great point, Matt, because. I mean as we know the NFL is probably one of the areas where they have the greatest opportunity to improve is how they develop quarterbacks and and at this stage of the game the way everything's set up the way that you know the system's set up for these teams they don't keep a lot of quarterbacks they don't have a great you know there's not really a lot of intensive effort to developing these players so you want to be in a situation where either the You know, the quarterback's a great match for what the team wants to do, vice versa, that the team's going to adjust to him Um, or that he's going to get a chance to sit for a little bit and work on some things and have some applied work, you know, put in his way, some applied lesson plans, some things that he can do both in the facility and outside the facility and then it also just falls on the quarterback, you know, is the quarterback going to play Xbox all day or, you know, or, you know, all night and then come into the facility on time, or is he going to be there at, you know, 4am, 5am grinding, you know, to try and get that opportunity and really develop his game while, you know, after practice working extra. So a lot, of, some of it's on the quarterback, but a lot of it also is where they're going to fit. You know, if, if the coaching staff doesn't particularly like the doesn't like what the GM or the, 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 you know, the personnel staff chose, they might not be, you know, may not be as great of a marriage either. So there's a, there's a lot of factors there. And I think fit is a covers a lot of that.
2: Matt, let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Uh, He is your quarterback too in the RSP. Uh, I think widely viewed as, as probably the fifth quarterback in the class. If we're talking NFL draft, purposes but fantasy owners seem to love the guy quarterback one quarterback two is is what you'll see in a lot of rankings or ADP things like that Uh, and he's my quarterback one so it makes me feel good that that we are in some agreement there what do you like about him and I think there's a lot of questions on transition for him Uh, how do you see that going uh, in in his first year or or I guess early in his career in the NFL
0: you know it's it's I'm tend to be a pessimistic about quarterbacks developing in the NFL based on what we just talked about. Um, so to me, it's kind of like watching one of those nature channel shows where like I saw this show the other day about these things called guillemots. I think they're these Arctic birds. And like when they, they hatch, they they live on these cliffs and when it's time for them to finally be strong enough to fly, they just get pushed off the cliff and start flying and like the the bird behind them is like kind of the parent bird is like behind them trying to guide them to the ocean and they usually crash land into the ocean and they're okay but if they don't make the ocean then they're usually picked off by another bird or an arctic fox and and they're a meal so you know when you watch
1: my daughter
2: That's that's Patrick Mahomes, right? He got got pushed off the cliff this offseason.
0: See, there you go. But I mean, it's like or Deshaun Kaiser basically, you know, right away, you know, and the father bird. He
1: got picked. You Jackson's right
2: right behind.
0: I'm right
1: behind (laughs) you, you know. So Arthur Fox is walking away with Kaiser right now.
0: Exactly. (laughs) So when you look at that scenario, it's I look at this and think, well, from a talent standpoint, in theory and on paper. Lamar Jackson, his skill in the pocket, you know, in terms of being able to stand in there and move away and reset and fire is very strong. His ability to find, you know, to throw people open or at least throw to protect his receiver is very strong. Um, a lot of the things that are harder to teach because they're processing various different skills together and integrating them, it's that emotional intelligence. And I think. That's the overlooked part of quarterbacking is that emotional IQ. I mean, you're a teacher. You know that there's some kids that you can show them five different concepts and they can repeat them to you to the letter and perfectly individually. But then when you ask them to integrate them all together, they're completely stunned and don't know what to do at first. And then there's some kids who, you know, they're sloppy about one or two things and they're consistently not doing well in in something that's just a basic thing. But for some reason, when you put – three or four things together, it just clicks and they're totally on top of it. And they may even be doing work that's, you know, three, two years advanced because they can grasp it due to that emotional intelligence. And I think that the NFL oftentimes looks at quarterbacking from a physical, technical, pure memorization, intellectual standpoint, and they don't know how to train that emotional IQ. And on top of that, that's a very hard thing to train. So they don't always look at it or know how to gauge it. As well. Some teams do better than others. And I think that when you look at Lamar, he has a lot of emotional IQ things that are very strong, but the things that he has to work on can be worked on. But if he gets rushed in or if he put, gets put into a team that says, you know what, we can use you like Robert Griffin. We can use you like Michael Vick did within Dan Reeves' days. We can run you a lot. You know, that's going to be valuable. But is it, are they going to sacrifice what he could be as a passer? so that they can win now and let him be that dynamic runner and just wear him out and say, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, they see him as a caricature of what he really could be. And I think that that's my biggest concern is that they're going to push him off the cliff and, uh, you, you know, in that range. And he ends up fitting with a team that's just like, I need to win now. I don't care about your development. You're good now for what we can do. Let's make you good now so that I can win and keep my job, which is fine. I understand that to an extent, but I would, you know, that's my concern with him. So when I rank him, you know, like Matt said, post-draft, pre-draft, pre-draft for me, this is talent, you know, so when I think about talent and upside, devoid of situation, he's, he's in my top two. When I think of fit, I'm just praying he goes somewhere behind like a Drew Brees or a Phillip Rivers or somewhere where, you know, with and with a coaching staff that just kind of says, you know what, let's give him a year to sit and have and have a mentor or have some or maybe even two years to sit and have a mentor.
1: Matt, I've been I'm always on the radio here in Pittsburgh and I've been saying this isn't the year to date Roethlisberger's replacement. That's next year unless Jackson's there, you know, like that's then you then you grab him. But one quick question for you. And then I want to tell all of our audience about a fantastic new sponsor called Simple Contacts. But I know now the, the, tis the season not to believe anything, but all the quote people in the know keep mentioning Josh Allen might be in play for the first overall pick. Would you fall out of your chair if that happens?
0: No, just because I've been a Browns fan for most of my life. (laughs) And it's just too, you know, it's just too true for that to be, you know, it just sounds like that would be something that would happen to Cleveland fans. And, you know, I have him ranked seventh. I see him as a player that he's, I think he's capable of more than way he's sometimes portrayed in social media. I mean, I do believe that he can slide from the pocket on occasion he does some he does some decent work, being able to find a, a, a receiver and step up and throw, but it's not integrated well. He's the exact opposite of Lamar Jackson, if you ask me. He's got all the he's got all the physical traits. He's got some intellectual traits that are decent, but he's but intuitively or having a plan, like just literally looking pre-snap and understanding what's there and, and taking advantage of that and making the adjustment is just not there for him right now. And maybe he can develop that maybe in a few years, that'll get better. But to me, that's the harder thing to do. And if he were, a if he were even a third round pick in, in, in this quarterback desperate environment that we have in the NFL these days, I'd feel better about him, but as a top five pick I just can't sign, you know, for me, I just can't sign on with that and feel like that that's great. So yeah, I would, I will probably feel gut punched, even though I feel like I've been prepared and trained for this all my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As I mentioned, I want to tell everyone about simple contacts. My contacts arrived actually a couple hours ago from simple contacts. It was one of the easiest things I've ever gone through. I mean, I, I I'm not a fan of going to the eye doctor you got to make the appointment, you got to go there. And you know, sometimes they dilate your eyes, you can't come home and write articles after that. So we got hooked up with these simple contact people. And it is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, all I did was I went to their site, it took me like three or four minutes took this real easy site test with my current contacts in took a picture of my subscription, and texted it to this representative at simple contacts. And like two days later, I got packages of contacts in the mail. It's unbelievable. So Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to review your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. It's vision care for the 21st century, and that's absolutely true. You need to renew your prescription. Take five-minute vision test from your phone or computer. It's reviewed by a licensed doctor. You receive a renewed prescription and order your contacts. All you need is your current contacts, an Internet collection, and 10 feet of space to walk away from your screen. If you have an unexpired uh, subscription, you just upload a photo like I did or your doctor's information and order the lenses. It's unbelievable. It's really, really convenient. There's a million things demanding of your time. Contact lenses should not be one of them. The vision test is self-guided. And like I said, it really only takes a couple of minutes. Think how much time you save compared to making an appointment, going to the eye doctor, taking the time off of of your day or having to get out of work. Uh, It's designed by doctors. And they review every test. It's unbelievable. What you need to do is you go to simplecontacts.com slash dynasty, all lowercase, I think. But do all, do all lowercases, to be sure. Use our promo code, dynasty, all lowercase. And all you will pay is the, the vision test is only 20 bucks compared to making an appointment and all that. That's 200 And you will save all kinds of money with this promotion. I absolutely um, think you need to check it out. Simplecontacts.com slash dynasty promo dynasty.
2: Matt, let's talk about some running backs now. Uh, You're, you're one of the rare ones. You do not have Saquon Barkley as your running back one. Instead it's Nick Chubb. Uh, I feel like reading over your work that maybe says more about Chubb's game than Barkley. So just just talk to us about what you like about Nick Chubb. And are you concerned, like like so many others are, that we may never see pre-injury Chubb again?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's probably was the one area where I worked very hard to try and look at his game because I've had Nick Chubb probably rated as one of my highest-ranked backs um, for the past three years. Um, so, you, you know, I had to watch a lot of post-injury tape to feel like, you know, do I need to mark him down? Do I need to, do I need to feel like I I have to reel back on some of the things that I saw before the injury? And when it came down to it, I didn't. And when you look at his combine numbers, you see that it's very similar to Barkley and And you think, well, that's the worst case scenario is that he's pretty much on the same level as an athlete or very similar at level as an athlete as Barkley. And He's been splitting time for the past two years because he's got a five-star running back working with him and Sonny Michelle, who probably get taken ahead of him. Um, So, you you know, you look at that and you think, you know, he's demonstrated that he can handle the workload. He had an injury that was, you know, very rare, but it was one that he recovered in nine months. The fact that he took some martial arts to to really um, get confidence in that leg before he came back, and then when he came back against a – you know, North Carolina defense that had some pretty good athletes, you know, they certainly know how to recruit good athletes. And, and there's a lot of guys that come from North Carolina, that get shots in the NFL because of their athletic ability. You watch him carry it 32 times for over 200 yards. And, you know, and then at the end of the, and this is his first time back to carry the load like that, and then still be able to beat a cornerback at the end of the game for over 50 yards and outrun him, you know, outrun an angle on him. That, that's pretty good. And so then I start watching the rest of his tape and you just see the quickness, the burst, the change of direction ability. And what I like most about him has always been his vision. He's just mature. He understands when to take the shorter gains, when to take the, take the path that he's supposed to take based on what the, the line presents to him and not trying to take too many risks. So he's, he's a guy that's going to move the chains for you. But if he gets an open crease, you better watch out with him too, because he's got great after contact balance. And you know, people talk about his receiving skill. Don't worry about that. He caught a number of balls as a freshman, and he just it just happened to be, as Mark Rick said, you know, early on and um, you know in his sophomore year, leading up to that. So, well, Nick Chubb's our Heisman candidate, but Sonny Michelle might be our best offensive player. Well, when you have that scenario, what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, who's the strongest receiver? doesn't make Nick Chubb a bad receiver. It just means that Sony Michel was a better option for them for what they wanted to do in that regard. If they didn't have Sony Michel or they didn't recruit a ton of great running backs every year that they packed their roster with, Nick Chubb could have more than handled what they wanted him to do as a receiver. It was just a matter of preference and also keeping Sony Michelle <laughs> engaged and using the best of both worlds with these guys to rotate them. So I, you know, I look at him and You know, I feel like that I I have a lot of confidence in what he's been able to do the past two years and every running back with the injuries, you know, of that sort where they have to miss a lot of time, usually their first year back, they have some sort of compensatory injury. It's an ankle sprain or some sort of muscle pull because they're. You know, psychologically, they're not fully confident in that leg. So he, he dealt with a little bit of an ankle issue throughout the, his junior year. And then this year, he was fine. So, yeah, I feel good about him.
1: You had a great point. You know, if he would have been at Toledo, like where Kareem Hunt was last year, he probably would have caught a lot of passes. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just, I mean, the competition. And I, I think I'm answering my own question, but you clearly think he's athletic, fluid enough, all those things to develop into a receiver.
0: Yes, I think he absolutely is. And I've seen enough evidence with him, you know, from his freshman year on that, even though he doesn't get the great volume, that he's solid in that department. It's kind of like Alex Collins a few years ago where I remember seeing him make some plays. And I remember one in particular was like a one handed grab on a wheel route along the sideline where you're going. If he can make that kind of grab and he can catch the occasional swing pass, I feel pretty good about what he's going to be able to do, even though his his workload was low or Leonard Fournette when you know, that was a perfect example last year, a lot of questions about him as a receiver and you're watching him against the Wisconsin game, catch a fade route up the sideline and you're thinking, well, that's, that shouldn't be a problem either. And then the first thing you hear in Jack, Jacksonville campus, we didn't know how good of a receiver he was, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's one of those things that to me, volume isn't so much as a, as, as much as it is a quality set of exposures. And I think that he's has the quality set of exposures to feel okay about him. As a receiver, and it's you know no knock against Saquon Barkley. If you're in a PPR league, I don't, I would not argue with anyone. I, actually, in any league, I wouldn't argue with anyone taking Saquon Barkley over Nick Chubb. I just happen to have that preference based on talent without fit as something that we know about. And if I were looking in a PPR league where maybe the bonuses were late, weighted more towards running back. You know, I, I have a system where I grade players based on, you know, more third down spread set ability at this point now. It's kind of a new feature, feature in the RSP. And Barkley comes out first in that area. Um, and it's, and Chubb isn't far behind, but still, you know, Barkley's receiving skill reigns. And you can see Barkley being kind of a used as a Marshall Falk like weapon. And if he was used that way, like the Rams, it may be no contest. It's just to me that if you're looking at still the old school between the tackles running, and someone who you know can you know carry the mail and not make some conceptual mistakes, I just like Chubb more at this stage.
2: Yeah, I know. This time last year, I was kind of disappointed that Chubb uh, went back to school. I was really surprised by that decision. Uh, I think Dynasty owners always just expect everybody that could come out to come out and, and declare for the draft. And uh, but in in hindsight, I'm really glad he went back. I I saw a big difference. Uh, physically between his junior and senior year. So I, I do think he's, you know, I don't know. It's probably impossible to say if he's pre-injury Chub or to put any kind of percentage on that or something like that. But uh, I did see a difference between the past two seasons. So plus last year, he, he could have just gotten lost in that, that running back class. So uh a good decision by him. It looks like in hindsight, the next guy I want to ask you about, we're going to dig a little deeper here. And this is a player I like as well. I've been targeting him or thinking about targeting him maybe in the third or fourth round for you. He's your running back seven, Justin Jackson. Talk about him a little bit.
0: Yeah. And that's where I'd like to get him, except in the league that all three of us are in. And I know <laughs> I might not have a shot at either of the guys we talked about, but, um, but yeah, I mean, especially the way, you know, Ryan, man, the way you dominate that league. But uh, when we look at, uh, you know, when we look at Justin Jackson, what I like about him is he reminds me a lot in the way that he plays of Jamal Charles. Doesn't mean he has the same talent. But when I watch Jamal Charles, he was someone that, you know, you know, you think of him and you think he's quick. He's unbelievably fast. He's got great agility. He can spot the cutback lane and he's going to be able to get through there and he can break it a long distance and he could catch Well, you know, Josh, you know, Jackson can do that. Justin Jackson can do that. But what he also shares in common with Jamal Charles is that what separated him from me as a college player is that when it came to running between the tackles or engaging a defender, he was always trying to be the first to make contact. And I think that when you watch running backs, the the better running backs always have a good idea of how to gauge that and to be the first to contact because when you're the first to contact you're also the first to be able to make a move and control what's going to happen so when you look at Charles there's a lot of tape of him at Texas where you see him running up the middle lowering the pads and delivering a forearm or a shoulder into a defensive tackle or a linebacker and spinning right off them and with that quickness he's able to get that first contact, jar the guy just enough so that he can make that second move. And it made him a very good between the tackles runner. And I think that, I think that Justin Jackson has that type of skill. And then on top of that, I love the, I love the stiff arm. I love the fact that he can, he seems to throw that stiff arm and, and, you know, it's like he's a swordsman or something. He's got all these different types of techniques and he's got the skill at being able to land them at different angles or like a boxer who's just a total technician at it. You know whether he's coming at the guy, the guy's coming at him sideways, whether he's already just ahead of the man and just kind of cleaning up with it, whether he's throwing it for power or leverage, he you know he he consistently knows where to put that and use that within the realm of what he's doing as a runner. And to be able to integrate that well is a really nice additional bonus and gift of his game. And then when we saw what he did with his workouts, I mean, you saw that he was extra quick and, and had strong acceleration, strong quickness that showed up on film and the fact that he carried the load. I mean, to me, I know people worry about, you know, that amount of workload, but to me, if the guy stays healthy and has that workload and he's not repeatedly injured, then that's a positive. Adrian Peterson, Ray Rice, Cedric Benson. I mean, there's a number of backs that you can look at who when they stayed healthy with a high workload, they were able to handle a workload in the NFL.
1: Matt, why do you hate Darius guys?
0: (laughs) I don't hate Darius guys. (laughs) Why? I like Darius guys. If I hated Darius guys, I would probably, you know, I that's the fun. I love that question because <laughs> that's so awesome. That it's like when people the thing that people don't always understand about draft guys, and I love how you phrase that, is that they look at rankings and I'd say, I hate rankings, I love right, players, right. I hate rankings because you know, I give grades to these players, and sometimes the grades are like. less than a point different from one another. It's just the difference between how the number of exposures I saw on how well he blocked someone versus how he didn't or maybe certain decisions that could be correctable or how correctable is, you know, it's that fine grain. So Darius Geis is my third back, you know, but again, if you want to take him first, I'm not going to argue with you about him. He's a, I think he's a terrific player.
2: (laughs) Uh, Matt what about Rashard Penny do you hate him he he's your he's your running back nine he seems to be kind of moving up the board I, I'm, I've done uh, a lot of rookie mock drafts he kind of seems to be falling into that running back five spot after uh, after Barkley Geis and the two Georgia backs uh, a little bit lower for you what do you think about him
0: Yeah, I mean, based on my grade, he would have been higher than probably all, but I think four or five of my backs last year in that great class. Um, So really, he's, you know, I think I have 12 backs rated higher than my seventh-ranked back, who was Jamal Williams, who I really liked last year and was talking about a lot and had on one of my film room shows, you know, breaking breaking down his game with him. So when you look at Rashard Penny, I mean, he's a good receiver. He's someone that... He he really under, you know, he plays in a gap style scheme at San Diego State where he really showed skill to, you know, set up blocks and hit the crease and find the open area. And he's got good size and speed. I don't think that he has quite, he's exhibited quite the power that you'd want to see from a 220 pound back um, in terms of breaking arm tackles that are, you know, below his knee. I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of great work from him as a pass protector yet but I think that can get better you know and even if he never becomes like the reliable tackle breaker that you want you know he's got speed he's got burst he understands where to hit the grease and how to manipulate it and he can catch the ball downfield that's that's a recipe for a pretty decent player who's going to contribute or start a, and play at a, at a pretty high level
1: is this the best running back class you can remember yes
0: without a doubt it's okay. uh, yeah. Shortest uh, answer you're ever going to get out of me.
1: Yeah, that, that,
2: that's Good. a big statement. It, it tells us a lot, though, in, in that short answer. Matt, let's move to the wide receiver position. Uh, another surprise, I think, at the top, or it, it, definitely a surprise, it's fair to say. And, and again, this is a this is player I like. I've been grabbing him in the third and fourth rounds. We even had some of our mock drafts hosted at DLF that he went undrafted in a four-round rookie draft. So seeing him as your wide receiver one – Uh, you know, we take notice of that. Dante Pettis from Washington. I know every time, uh, this time last year, when I would look back at some Washington games and try to get a feel for John Ross, I just ended up being really impressed with Pettis. So that has stuck with me. He's a player I've liked since then. Uh, Maybe not quite as much as you. So what what stood out with Pettis?
0: Yeah, Pettis to me, I mean, first I think we got to talk about the overview of this class. It's a very tightly grouped class. And it's a very difficult one to for me to have graded. Um, and oftentimes the more I do this, the more difficult Y receivers become because most teams, and I'm sure Matt can attest to this, I mean a lot of teams probably narrow down their Y receiver based on what position fit they're looking for based on whether he's going to be an X or Y or a slot guy. So instead of looking at 70-plus receivers and saying, let's rate them all on our board, they're looking at 8 to 12, you know, maybe less than that depending on what year it is and who they are. And and so when you're trying to grade across, you know, really what is three positions or more, depending on the subsets you want to do, it 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 can be very narrow and and have a lot of nuance to it. But when I look at Pettis, I like the fact that in this particular environment of how I'm grading, that he could probably play in the slot, but he can also work outside. I like his ability as with releases. He understands how to use his hands and feet in conjunction, and he has a variety of techniques that he can use to get early separation and he knows how to tell a story as a route runner and I think that that's very important is that being able to set up that defender and do it efficiently he's not making a million moves to try and get free but he's a you know he has efficient streamlined moves and understands the leverage of the cornerback and is able to you know work that to that cornerback's disadvantage and then at the catch point he's you know he's very flexible acrobatic skilled above the rim. And he's someone that can take some contact to make the catch, and then after the catch, I mean, look, this this guy is an unbelievable speedster, and he is an unbelievably strong because he's six feet one eighty six. But at the same time, he makes people miss. He broke Deshaun Jackson's Pac ten you know record in in kick returns, so you know he can run after the catch, and he's and he's good at that. So, you know, the players that he reminds me of are players that I've always liked, Uh, you know, Brandon Lloyd, while he was not probably a high quality professional on the level of maturity or whatever was going on with him as a personality, as a player, he was an artist. I mean, you know, going up to win the ball in the air, being able to get separation despite maybe lacking great speed and very flexible. Marvin Jones reminds me of a player on that tree. I always liked Marvin Jones. Donald driver was a player kind of on that tree. Um, I think Dante Pettis fits somewhere along that spectrum of player. And while he may not have been your, you know, prototypical primary wide receiver one, if you look at the landscape the past three years, we look at Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Thomas, Cooper cup, um, some of these slot receivers who can kind of play a little bit outside too. Um, the spread offenses are kind of changing that dynamic possibly to where we, we don't necessarily have to look at the six, two and above 215 pound and above, you know, four, four and below speedster.
2: So I'm interested with Pettis and and there's a few other players that would fit in this mold as well, but we'll, we'll use his, him as an example, when you're in your leagues and, and we're in the three of us are in one together, as you mentioned, and you have a guy like Pettis as your wide receiver one. Typically, you might value your your wide receiver one as an early or mid first round, uh, first round pick. How do you how do you uh, I guess mesh that with what you know or or at least what you expect Pettis's value to be? Are are you trying to find that sweet spot to pick him where you're not reaching for him and and maybe wasting a pick or losing some value? H- how do you handle that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and I think that from if from go ahead a
1: league has your RSP
0: right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so so we got to answer that in two two part question. In theory, um, in theory, <laughs> right. if I were if I were reading the RSP as a reader and not the writer of it, and I were in a league with people who weren't you know, who weren't doing their own rankings and observing everything going on in the environment and as knowledgeable as you guys, I would I would probably say, okay, let me look at ADP and wait till the post-draft if we have a the draft after the NFL draft and kind of gauge ADP and look where I have them ranked and I have a sweet spot. And that's what I do with my cheat sheet for the RSP post-draft is I, I kind of create, I show people, here's where I have them ranked post-draft, And then here's a number that kind of gauges plus or minus, whether he's on par with his ADP based on my ranking or above and below. And that should give you an idea of how many picks he's, you know, I may have Pettis as my number one guy, but the ADP says he's going to be 32nd, he's average 32nd pick. Well, you know, then that, you know, I say, give or take, I think five or seven picks, something like that. So that somewhere in the, in the next 20, you know, four, twenty-five picks, you're gonna need to take him. So that means he's probably more of a second round guy where you can get some value out of him, but you're not you're reaching a little bit, but not so much that you're going crazy with him. In leagues with you guys, I know that I have to take chances and I have to be really bold with the guys that I like. And that means that I can't follow what I what I write. And that, and or I'm never going to get anybody I like.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, you also have to have to recognize, and uh, you're you're a humble guy, but this is the truth that when he's your when he's your wide receiver one, that's going to impact everybody else. Kind of like Matt said, his ADP is not going to be a fourth round anymore after after this came out a couple weeks ago.
0: Yeah, it's crazy in that way, and it's funny because you know there's a part of you when you're writing this, and I'm going. You know, I, I wish I didn't like Nick Chubb this much.
1: <laughs> you know what this I, is going to do.
0: You know, you know what's you, you start to look and you realize after, you know, doing this for 13 years, yeah, this is what it's going to do, good or bad, you know, because the good side of it is that there are people who pick guys who I've liked and say, I'm glad that you had Le'Veon Bell ranked second or third or whatever. I think I had him third, I think one year or maybe fourth. I don't know where I had him, but he was in my top five and he was underrated compared to some other people. And they're like, I'm glad that you had him there and to recognize what he was. Or Spencer Ware is your third back, where for a year or two that might have been worthwhile for some people to kind of hold on to him late and know when to get him. But at the same time, you know, if I like someone like Doriel Green Beckham, who, you know, has washed out of the league, you know, there's people who invest in that as well. So you kind of hear both sides of it. But you, but at the same time, you know, it's 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 definitely um, – it's flattering and it, and, it, and it feels good to know that people – you know, like the quality of work that's being done. And I just try to do the best I can to, uh, to make it worthwhile for him.
1: But, but our listeners out there, if they're doing a a rookie draft now before the draft by chance, I mean, I would think it's safe for them to say, okay, I think Waldman really knows what he's talking about. I'm going to use two, two on Pettis. Yeah. And you know, you'll get them. Yeah. You know,
0: and that's, and that's what I try and do in my rankings is saying, you know, look, This is where I have him valued, and I'm sure we're going to talk about a player or two that are going to be lower than the the list, you know, on my list. But to me, it's like, yeah, Dante Pettis probably isn't going to be a guy that you're going to want to take as high as I have him ranked, you know. And I try to give some sort of guidance on certain degrees as to where that is if it's really out there. And I think with Pettis, I'm seeing enough people who like him that I felt like, okay, he – the common sense will probably say you don't have to take him as your first receiver off the board. You can probably get him as your fourth or fifth guy. um, And, and that would be all right.
2: And that's another example of why it's important to read the RSP, read through it at least as much as you can. Don't just scroll down to the rankings and, and use those as, you know, as the Holy grail, but really focus in on those write-ups that you've done such a good job with. Appreciate that. Let's look at uh, another maybe eye-popping player, Cortland Sutton. He's He is the wide receiver one for a lot of people in this class, although I think there's there's plenty of argument for uh, for some others at the top. For you, he's your wide receiver 22. I think after the RSP came out uh, uh, several days ago, this is just kind of following the action on Twitter. This is the one that, that got the most uh, – most conversations started. I'm sure this is probably the the player that you heard the most feedback about. Would you so so I'm assuming you you would advise dynasty owners not to use a first round rookie pick on this guy.
0: And I would say that that would be the safest and probably most cautious way to put it is that I wouldn't recommend a first round pick. And that's because there's such a great depth of running backs in this class that why would I, I probably wouldn't want to do that and i think that there are some safer players now that said this is another case of where why rankings suck because we <laughs> look at we look at this and the grades that i have I have 24 players graded on my scale above an 80 and an 80 to me is a player who's capable of developing into an NFL starter and who could probably contribute right away and and produce right away in a limited role or in a role that's tailored for him and I think that Cortland Sutton, as I start off my ranking, said, look, you know, when I start off my, my um, description of him and what I thought about his game, I said, look, if you want to rank him seventh, go ahead and rank him seventh. And that's still going to be underrating him, probably, compared to where everybody else has him. But that will put you within a shot where you don't feel bad for reaching for him, because I can see how he can develop into a starter and be a productive one. I see the path. It's very clear. And the fact that I have him rated 80, you know, at, I have him in. Nearly an 81 is my depth of talent grade, which, again, is how I describe, you know, a, a contributor who can grow from there. I just feel like that when I see his game, he has some issues catching the ball. I mean, it's it's from a technical standpoint, it's working for him enough in college to get the get the headlines. But at the same time, he drops a lot of passes he shouldn't. He uses technique where he claps onto the ball and it rattles around in his in his hands Um, bounces off his chest, goes through his hands, and there are catches that he should make. And then there's the catches that a primary receiver should make, and he makes them inconsistently at best at this stage of his game. And then I also see effort issues with blocking. I see effort issues with some route running. I see some frustration that he has repeatedly with some issues where he's committed pass interference calls in the red zone and cost his team. And when I put all that together, I see a guy, well, yeah, he might grow out of some of that. And if it were any other class where it wasn't as tightly grouped together, he might end up, he might've still ended up in my top 10. And we had just been talking about that. I have him slightly lower than everybody else. Um, And the grade's good, but the, but compared to everyone else in this tight group effort and technique matter. And he didn't quite, you know, he didn't get up to that point. I mean, if he had done one thing better or two things better, we might've been talking about him as a top five player on my board at this position but he's not. So, you know, in the RSP post-draft, I'm pretty sure he's going to be higher up because we're going to see where he lands, look at the depth chart, see the opportunity and say, there you have it. He's, you know, this is where you probably want to take him, but looking at long-term talent, I have a little more concerns about him and that's why he's ranked lower and I'm just not going to fudge
2: on it. Yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, we, we've we had a couple other folks on here who had some similar concerns Uh with Sutton and maybe not quite as, uh, quite as low, but uh, uh, quite as low on him, but they expected, if I'm remembering correctly, they expected a slow transition, maybe a year or two before we can really see what he can do. So at the very least, based on that, based on your conversation, we could say, let somebody else take him this year and, and buy low, you know, buy low, buy low in November or December.
0: Yeah, Ryan, and, and in this class, I mean, this is we just you you just asked, is this the match? Just asked, is this the best running back class you've 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 evaluated? And the answer was yes, absolutely. Period. I mean, when you look at that, and I just said there's twelve backs that I like better than my, you know, I think I might have fourteen backs that I like better than my top seven last year or as good, um, you know, or within that realm that tells you why not load up on running back this year and there's depth that and the fact that there's enough depth that i have you know over 24 players rated as contributor level players why receivers are easy to easiest to get off the waiver wire they're the easiest people lose the most patience with them they're the most liquid on the trade market running back is the hardest to acquire they're the most expensive to get why not load up this year on running backs even if you fail on one or two if you're taking four or five running backs in this class and can afford to do that Why not do that and do it early and, you know, just look at this wide receiver class and say, there's going to be some good guys that come out of it. Cortland Sutton may be one of them, but if I'm going to look at the opportunity I get to get a good running back and maybe one of these quarterbacks, if I, you know, at the right time, that may be more worthwhile to me because there'll be, there'll be good receivers coming along every year.
1: And none of these guys are Julio Jones. No. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like you're, (laughs) yeah. It doesn't kill your dynasty team to pass on any of these receivers. No, not at all.
2: Well, we, we've seen this show before. A guy goes to the combine. He runs a crazy fast time. And, of course, he he rises up rankings. He rises up ADP mock drafts and, and uh, NFL mock drafts. And this year it's uh, DJ Chark from LSU. I, I'm shocked every time I see an NFL mock draft and he's in the first round. I, I, I just don't get it. Um, you, it seems like you have some concerns about him too. He's your wide receiver 26.
0: Yeah. I just, I think he's a garden variety deep threat. I mean, yeah, he's got four, three speed. That's great. He's six, three. That's great. He can catch the ball against contact. Sometimes that's good too. Where, how he uses his hands. It's inconsistent. That needs to get better. His route running needs to get better. He needs to expand his route tree. Um, so when I look at all of that, I see a player who's a bit more one-dimensional at this stage with potential to grow into more. He's on the borderline between being a reserve and a contributor for me at this very stage. So that means if you put him in the right spot, he's probably going to be able to contribute and do reasonably well. But again, in the NFL, the, the details matter with catching the football. It just gets harder and harder because... They're dealing with more physical players who are on top of them faster, who are able to be more physical and get the right placement. I mean, watch a college game and watch a player get the ball knocked loose, whether it's, you know, as a pass catcher or as a runner, and then watching the NFL. And in the NFL, it's almost like there's, you know, 10 out of 11 defenders are punching the ball in the exact right spot. To try and knock it loose. And if you don't have good technique, it's gone. In college, there's like two guys on the team who might do that. And they one of them might be on the other side of the field who has no chance of getting at them. And in and I think that's something that we is sometimes lost on us when we're evaluating players. So when I look at Chark and I see him make some of these catches that he does against contact, I'm thinking, well, that's good, but it's still not the right technique. It's not, you know, the hand position's not good. He's going to have more opportunities to fail here because of how you look at the NFL game through that lens of what he's going to face. And so, yeah, I mean, does a couple more things, right. He's right up there with being a, you know, high end contributor right away. And that could happen in camp. So if you hear about DJ chart making great catches and you can see him in preseason where he's, you know, he's using the right techniques He's, and they're talking about how he's learned more and he's absorbed a lot, and it's not just about the scheme and it's not just about that type of thing, but it's about his route running. It's about his hands and how he's using them. Then I'd be all in, and I'd be happy to take him higher. But right now, he's got things to learn.
1: He seems an awful lot like Teddy Ginn or Devery Henderson. Yes. And coaches like those guys. Sean Payton loves those guys because – It helps get people open in the middle of the field, in the screen game, and you use them to set up other skill players, but they don't really help your fantasy team.
0: No, they're good DFS matchups, you know, every once in a while when their price is really low, and they have a really strong matchup against a team that gives up the deep ball, and you can get enough shots on, you know, on that player. So. Mm To me, you know, that's when you make a lot of money off of Ted Kinn and you're doing well in your leagues. Um, But otherwise, no. I mean, you're looking for consistency. And I think that Chark doesn't look like a consistent guy yet.
2: I think Chark is going to be one of those guys that I'm I'm hoping somebody reaches for in my rookie drafts just to push the talent a little bit uh, further down the line for me. That was John Ross last year. Same thing. Uh, I don't think charcoal go quite that high, uh, of course, in the NFL draft or in rookie drafts. But uh, if, if somebody's grabbing him in the early second, I'm feeling pretty happy about that. As long as it's not me. The uh, Last receiver I want to ask you about is another one of my favorites. This is one we don't agree on. So I'm a little disappointed, but uh, definitely want to hear your take on Equinemia St. Brown. He's way down wide receiver 27 for you.
0: Yeah, and that you know it's tough because he does look the part. You know he's you know you're six five two fourteen four four eight forty, and he had a he had a really nice year in two thousand seventeen or two thousand sixteen, mm-hmm. and he he's someone that you can see him win the ball in the air and and break tackles, make the first man miss and he can get into the open field. I've seen him do some decent work releasing against defenders, and he might be an example of a player that despite how many games I watched, he was on the borderline between enough things that he could have gone much higher and may end up being a a successful guy. But just like we talked about quarterbacks and the classroom analogy about, you know, you know, kids knowing five different things and showing it separately, but then when you put it all together, it just doesn't click. That's to me Equanimus St. Brown's game. I just see him against, you know, better cornerbacks and tighter coverage and situations that are more NFL like. And he just didn't come through enough. He didn't he didn't catch the ball against contact well enough. He didn't make some of the more difficult plays. He made plays harder on himself that were more wide receiver one worthy. When you think of A.J. Green going up to win the ball, you watch him attack it. You see him know how to turn his body and set up, you know, set himself up so that the defender's not going to get in his way. He knows how to, you know, keep his back to the defender more often. And when you look at, like when you've Brown in these plays, I see him all too often where maybe the throw's not great, but the throw's good enough that he could track that ball over his shoulder better. He could maybe keep his back to the defender, and so that he can allow, make that defender play through him rather than have to turn and lean away to try and catch a ball and open himself up. Or you, you know, sometimes his hands aren't always consistent with making some of the tougher plays and getting his hands on it where he's catching fingertips first. Or you know, and it sounds like nitpicking, and it might be, but at the same time, I'm you know, I just feel like I've learned over the years that. The the details like those matter between the difference between the college and pro game, and it doesn't mean that he can't learn them and get better. But at this stage, it's not quite there. So I see him as a player who has who's this isn't the sum of his parts right now, and that may get better for him. But I project him more as a wide receiver too. He's more of a and I and people aren't going to like this comparison, but he's he's more of a Brandon LaFell than an AJ Green, and and I think that. People are going to look at that and go, wow, that, that's harsh. But Brandon LaFell isn't a bad NFL receiver. He's just not a guy fantasy players are going to drool over.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, the level of cornerbacks that all these guys are going to play against compared to what they did play against, is unbelievably different. I mean, they're so good at playing the ball in the air and finding it and being physical. Those are great points about really diagnosing the the small things he does wrong or could improve in because if he doesn't, he won't be a success. Speaking of success, Ryan, you know where I'm going with this one? I've got an idea. I bet you do. (laughs) Our buddies over at Harry's, I've told you guys many times, they've been sponsoring us a long time. And before that, they sponsored some of my podcasts over at ESPN. I got hooked with them then i have very sensitive skin so i used to be an electric guy until i got to know harry's so what you got to do is you got to go to harrys.com slash dynasty and you got to cash in on this great offer um they the harry's folks were fed up with overpaying for expensive razors with unnecessary features and they realized that a great shave comes down to great blades they're made with sharp durable steel that lasts you get a lot of shaves out of your harry's blades that's why they bought a factory that's been making the highest quality blades in the world now for 95 years. So by selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's can offer their blades at a price much lower than the leading brand. It's like two bucks a blade as opposed to four or five when you go to your local drugstores. stores. The quality is better than your, what you're going to get at the drugstores stores as well. So this is what happened. Here's the trial offer for you. You get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave a wonderful weighted handle, five-blade razor with lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel that my wife loves the smell of, and a travel blade cover. Listeners may, of our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com dynasty. Make sure you go to harrys.com dynasty to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you and help support the show.
2: All right, Matt, and both Matts, I guess I should say. As we have done the past few weeks, we're going to end the show with a, uh, a quick one-round rookie mock draft. Now, Waldman, I want you drafting as if this were hyperactive too, okay? <laughs> you should have nope. made him pick first
1: to see if he really passed on Barkley. Right? Listen,
2: this, this is what I was going to say. We somebody <laughs> One of our listeners suggested this. Make the guests go, go third. Give them the hard choice. And I think this week we made it easy on Waldman, but I'm going to take the first pick this, this week. Uh, you made a good argument for Nick Chubb, but I'm going to stick with Saquon take it. Barkley. <laughs> Taking Saquon Barkley <laughs> at the one spot, 1.01 Barkley. Williamson, you've got the two pick.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to stick with Geis. I'm a big believer. And so Waldman gets his guy at three. Absolutely.
2: All right. So you're taking Nick Chubb at three. That, no doubt. That, that's an easy pick for you. Uh, 1.04. What's that?
0: The only time I'm going to get him.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 1.04. I'm back on the clock, and I will take Chubb's teammate Sonny Michelle at four, and Williamson.
1: Yeah. I think the first four are pretty easy, and there's a little bit of a drop-off. I'm going with Ronald Jones, but I don't love that selection. Yeah, I would probably be trying to trade out a one-five.
0: I think I'm going to go with on Johnson. I'm, I'm really a fan of his. I, I just <laughs> like how smooth and flexible he is as a runner. Um, I, I think that, you know, people have some worries about his injuries, but I think he understands how to play the game very well, and he can run between the tackles, and he can also deliver that big play element. So I'd be excited about him.
2: All right. I agree. This is, this is where it gets tough. Really after three or four, lots of directions you could go. I'm going to, I think I'm going to break the wide receiver seal. This is a guy we didn't talk about, but uh, I I believe you're a fan. Waldman. I'm going to take DJ Moore at seven. Oh, that's nice. I like that.
1: Yeah. I don't think Matt's going to approve of this one, but I'm going to take Rashad Penny. Uh, I think he's going to get drafted pretty high contributes in both phases, can score touchdowns. I'm still more or less a fan, but i'd be fielding offers to get out of that pick
0: yeah i mean i like that i mean i i don't have any problem with that actually um and then when you look at you know other players that are sitting here on this board you know I, this would be the time where i'd look at my my roster and say do i need a young quarterback and do i trust which quarterback that can be and it would probably come down between josh rosen and and then someone like royce freeman and I think where I would head at this particular point, if I got those two backs that I got in this class, I would probably take a chance on Josh Rosen. I, I feel like that he has a real shot to become a good starter in this league. And he's my top quarterback.
2: All right. That puts me up at the 10 spot. Uh, let's see. I like, I like the penny pick. I would have, I would have taken him there for sure. Uh, I'm going to go with another receiver and, uh, yeah, well, done. I'm I'm still going to stick with Cortland Sutton,
1: I think, here. There you go. Yeah, I'll gladly take Calvin Ridley at 111.
0: Yeah, see, there you go. And that's not a bad pick at all. And then when you're looking at this, I mean, I'd probably just stick – I'd probably go back with another running back at this point. Or if I were in a startup, I'd say, hmm, Lamar Jackson's still sitting there. Maybe I can get – maybe and double bottom two guys. So if I'm building a team – I would probably go with Lamar Jackson if I had a, a, start, a good starter, and I picked Josh Rosen, then it would be Royce Freeman. He would be my guy.
1: Matt, real quick question, because the guy that I've been I watched a little bit of, and I'm starting to really get fond of, is John Kelly. So I just want to make sure I asked you about him while you were here.
0: Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've kind of joked around on other podcasts that that if you know if you've seen Black Panther. They have this like little antidote that the Wakandans give him so that he can uh, uh, um, be in battle, I guess, for the leadership of the tribe um, of the Wakandan people so that he doesn't have his superpowers anymore. And, I, and I've and i joked around that John Kelly is Walter Payton after the Wakandan antidote is administered. <laughs> he's got all that intensity. He's got the fight. He's about the same size. Um, you know, he's not an unbelievably – he's not fast, but he's quick, and he's agile and good vision. I love him. I love his style of play. He's one of my guys. I just don't – I just wonder if he's like Joyke Bell, you, you know – Spencer Ware, one of those players that you're going to really enjoy watching, and he's going to be fun every time he cat touches the ball. But is he always going to be looking over his shoulder? And and he's somewhere between being a starter that we're all going to love, or being that guy that we're like, that was fun, but all right, somebody else is coming along now.
2: All right, well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. I know you this is this is your busy time, uh, though. I'm I'm sure you're glad to have. A finished product out there as well. Uh, for the, the few listeners who might not have the RSP yet, tell them where they can find your work and, and find you on Twitter as well.
0: Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Waldman, and you can find Uh, you know, kind of a rotating feed of the work. It's at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Lots of videos, Twitter moments, analysis ranging from two minutes long to even 30 minutes long of real nuanced breakdowns of players. Sometimes I have guests on um, to join me. I haven't had a lot of them this year because it's been a transitional year for me. Um, And then you can, you know, so you can order the RSP there and you can find me also on YouTube at the RSP film room and find lots of videos
2: on, on that channel. All right. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint.